Congratulations for investing in your family's future today by joining us on the AI Parenting Podcast. We are a judgment-free community moving from screen time to quality time. And our motto is don't sedate, relate to create. And today's episode is going to be a bit different because we are going to be relating by answering the most popular searches for why do parents hate? Since this question is written from the perspective of the child, I'm going to answer the question directly. Now, when I refer to you, I mean the child. And when I refer to we or us, I mean us parents. For the parents listening, it may not sound like I'm speaking directly to you, but I encourage you to think about how you would have similar conversations with your own child. Now, if you're frustrated about the relationship you have with your parents or your children, or if you feel like they just don't understand your perspective, I'm here to say that we're doing our best in a tough situation. No one could have prepared us for how AI would change our world. AI today determines what we watch, how we play, who we play with, how we learn, teach, and test, who we friend and who we date, and how we work and get paid. We could not have predicted how big tech would concentrate power by harvesting our data and controlling what we pay attention to. So parents today are a unique generation that didn't grow up in a world of smartphones, social networks, and AI. However, this is all you've ever known. Since parents remember growing up without tech, the world today does not seem normal to us. As social activities happen more online, you develop new words, memes, and culture. And this is making it harder for parents to even speak with you. And this is leading to a great divide between you and your parents, leading to more frustration, yelling, and anxiety. Today, we'll explore the top three autocompletes to why do parents hate? Number one, video games like Roblox. Number two, YouTube channels like Caillou. Number three, social media like TikTok. All right, let's jump into it. So why do parents hate video games? Uh, I'm going to talk about the movement from public to private. So when I was growing up, consoles and computers were fairly expensive. So we usually only had one that was shared with the whole family. So technology in the home was purchased to be shared with everyone. What this meant was that every game we played was public. Our parents may not have known all aspects of the game, but they would at least be able to talk to us if we got upset because of the game. There was a built-in assumption that what we did with computers or game consoles was public. So there was a strong level of accountability for our digital actions. Now, over time, laptops were introduced and they became smaller and more affordable. And suddenly our actions are online were assumed to be private. No one should know about them except us. So this expectation of privacy from your own family only grew with the arrival of smartphones and laptops behind closed bedroom doors. 
because I mean, this was another thing that was widely searched. It's like, why, why do they invade my privacy? Why do they check my phone? Um, that was a big area of concern, too. So now you may um, have heard the quote already. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, and that means that everyone in your life counts. This is from the renowned businessman and speaker Jim Rohn. Well, it turns out that this is backed by the research as well. The research from UC San Diego and Harvard Medical School revealed how even friends of friends can impact our behaviors. So, if you were friends of a smoker, you were 61% more likely to be a smoker yourself. If a friend of a friend smokes, then you were 29% more likely to be a smoker. Now, what about if a friend of a friend of a friend smoked? Then you were still 11% more likely to be a smoker, even if you had never met this person before. Now, researchers also、um, found similar patterns in obesity and. On a positive note, they also found it with happiness as well. So, if you're around more happy people, you're much more likely to be happy. The network of your peers has a direct impact on your behavior. It, it just makes sense. It will rub off on you even a little, even if you you've never met them, because I mean your peers are influenced、uh, by others. Now. Of course, as as parents, we can get anxious when we see our children playing a lot of video games because we don't know who you are, who you're hanging out with. You know, are are they people who lift you up and they challenge you to reach even higher, or are they people who take you down and they make you feel sad? You know, parents are not hating on games per se. But if you're spending more time on Roblox than you are with your family, then we're not going to feel good about it. So, more anonymous games. Also, and this is important, it means more risky behaviors. And the reason for this is because you feel more disconnected from the consequences of your actions. So, what happens when others feel that they can do whatever they want without consequences? They end up saying things that they to other people that they would never dare to say in person. Like, why do people engage in bullying at all? Well, for the bully, tearing others down means that they can borrow your status and that they can feel better. About their own possibly self-limited self-esteem, right? Like maybe they don't feel that great about themselves, and so when they bully another person, they they borrow their status, so they they reach a higher status, and they they feel better about their own situation. So this is not often about you. <laughs> It, they're not actually often criticizing you. They're actually criticizing themselves. So I, I just want to be clear. Like, if you or anybody who's watching this is experiencing bullying, I'm here to say that 
You are not what others say about you online. You are valued, even if you don't think that right now. If you don't have anyone you feel that you can speak to right now, there are people who love and care about you, and they want to help. Youthline has a teen-to-teen -teen service that you can text 839-863. So these are other youths that you can speak to. There's also a crisis text line at 741-741 in the United States. And if you're in Canada, you can text 686868. This is the crisis text line. Now, going back to stepping back a little bit to parents, you know, honestly, we, we genuinely want to learn more about your friends and your friends' parents. Uh, and the reason for this is it provides accountability if something bad happens online. It gives another parent that we can reach out to so that there are potential consequences for what happens online. So the more time that we spend with people that we can like meet in person, the more accountable they'll be for their actions online. Yeah, and I know like, like, oh, who wants their parents like knowing this stuff? You're right, like it's normal to seek independence and privacy as we get older. Uh, when you share with your parents about how you handled a situation online, well, you're showing that you're already being responsible on your own. So it's really about figuring out where you are today. Um, and if you have a habit already, then great. But if you don't, like, if we develop a habit of talking about who we connect with online, and this this helps when this will help us create a support network that will be really beneficial when something bad does happen. The key is we, the parents, we're on your team, even though it may not seem that way all the time, like even though sometimes we're frustrated, uh, we are still your biggest champions, right? And we're here for you no matter what. The question is why? <laughs> why do parents hate YouTube? Um, and why do they hate YouTube channels like Caillou or Peppa Pig or um, Blippy? Like why, why so much hate around all of these YouTube channels? So when we were growing up, cable TV was pretty much the norm. I mean, if you didn't have cable TV, people were like, what's wrong with you? Or they, they felt that that was very much not the normal. Uh, so we would all watch the same episodes as our friends. So there was a common ground of what we would talk about. Uh, television shows were required to have a rating so that they made sure that they were age appropriate. Now, this means that all of the, the content was carefully reviewed by the content raters and often shows were revised so that they would get a lower age rating so it could appeal to more uh, children or more families. But we're in a very different world right now. Today, over 500 hours of video is uploaded every minute on YouTube. 
So it's no longer possible to review all of the content that is uploaded, like including this, this stream. So if we rely on, so we have no choice but to rely on AI to make automatic decisions for us. And these decisions are based on how much time, watch time, you spend watching certain shows. And so the longer you spend watching, the more ads that can be presented and the more money that YouTube makes. It's not just YouTube, like any social media platform also uses the same technique as well. So if you're on Instagram or TikTok, it's the same. Snapchat is also the same. So this means what you get presented next on YouTube doesn't depend on content ratings by people, uh, but it's really about what makes you watch longer. And there's an evolutionary explanation for the, let's call it the aggressive and the promiscuous um, Elsagate videos on YouTube. So everyone's familiar with Elsagate? These were extreme videos that featured Elsa, like somebody dressed as Elsa, uh, wearing promiscuous clothing or in relatively violent, like types of aggressive acts. And so why? So why did those ones bubble up to the top? Why did why were those shown on YouTube Kids as some of the most popular as opposed to other videos that are uploaded? Well, since we don't consciously control those milliseconds that we spend watching videos, um, our unconscious animal instincts take over. If you think about it, aggression, it's connected to survival, right? Like this is, we needed it to survive. And arousal um, is connected to reproduction. And so there's just like inherent things that caused us, like just evolutionary things that caused us to watch those a little bit longer. It could be just a few milliseconds. Not that we were consciously trying to watch those things. No, by by no means. It's just we don't control those things. We don't control how many milliseconds we watch posts. So how does all this uh, connect to animated characters like uh, Caillou and uh, Peppa Pig? Well, <laughs> it means that the shows where the main character is mean or aggressive to their siblings. Um, for example, maybe they're not sharing any of their toys or maybe they're saying mean things to their parents. Those generate more watch time. Because I mentioned like aggression, like we, we just tend to spend a little bit more time. The if the post is more aggressive. Um. Blippi. Are you guys familiar with Blippi? You watch that show? It's like a really young kids one. Hmm. It's another example of extreme aggression. Because Blippi, um, and I, I love this explanation from other, like they're, they're media creators for children. Uh, it's part of a Facebook group that I'm a part of. Uh, they said that it's this kind of extreme aggression where he exists in a world that's focused on things like 
fire trucks or helicopters、uh, rather than people. See, what's interesting about this is that in this case, Blippi he exists in this world where everyone else who might compete for the same toys has been defeated, has been conquered. There's just you and the toy. There's nothing else that there's nothing else holding you back, right? Um, it's a very interesting way of looking at、uh, children's media. That、um, it was really the the children and media side that exposed me to this.、Um, but is that making sense so far? Like,、um, how is the the media like? How is it different than what we watched?、Um, say, what did what parents watched as kids? I mean, just contrast this with your parents being exposed to Sesame Street as children, and you see that a lot of the focus in that show was on modeling how do we relate with other people, or maybe it wasn't people. It could be Grover, or it could be one of like Cookie Monster. It could be like other characters, but it was about relating with others, and. What this show did is it reinforced、uh, what parents were already saying,、uh, which made parents like a lot more comfortable、um, putting their kids in front of it. And there's an issue though; it's not going to generate as much watch time as something that is the complete opposite of what your parents tell you to do, because as a、uh, Child, like that's exactly what you want to do. It's it's one of the reasons why, like、uh, Curious George, he's always like super curious, and like parents would want him to not explore, but he always wants to explore, and that's kind of what makes、uh, that show fun, right? It's just、um, doing the opposite and seeing what the consequences are.、Uh, but in this case, it's just any show that you know shows aggression, because the the algorithm, the AI, is not really looking for. You know what's going to be beneficial for your kid,、um, and this is key because we we wonder oh there's like a lot more like behavioral challenges.、Um, I previously talked about those five people, right? Like I mentioned before that we are really the sum of the five people closest to us. So if we spend a lot of time watching an influencer on YouTube or a channel on YouTube. Uh, we are very likely to take on some of their habits as well,、um, so that's why it's very important for us to make sure that that person that they're watching、um, as parents,、uh, that there's somebody that we want to be, we want to become, we want to be like them、uh, before investing the time and the attention on that particular character. So. No, overall, it's it's not meant to be a a rain on your parade.、Uh, you know, at the end, we parents we're just curious about your interests, and what we want to do is we want to see how we can help you achieve your goal quicker, faster. Is it if there's anything that we can do? Is there's anybody that we know that can help you with your goal? We want to reach out to them. And so, if we build this habit of Teaching what we learn online. So you watch a video, and then for the purpose of learning how to do something, 
and you decide, okay, I'm going to teach it right away or I'm going to show somebody how it works, then we're going to remember what we watched because we're using it right away. Um, and this is the, the key about our memory is our brains are wired like such that we can sit for hours watching video after video and not really learn anything. Our brains are incredibly efficient at forgetting things that we don't use. So it's better to just start doing something first and then watch the videos about the skill that you're missing rather than just watch a bunch of videos first. You know, when you watch um, YouTube videos, you see a lot of very like successful influencers, like they're, they're wildly successful on YouTube or maybe on Twitch. Um, so it seems like success online should be easy. Well, a 2018 study from Germany found that 96.5% of creators did not make enough to surpass the U.S. poverty line in 2018. Of those with more than, um, basically, in order to make it, you had to be part of that 3.5%. Um, and that meant you had over 1.4 million monthly views. Uh, and then you would kind of see enough ad revenue to make it above the, the U.S. poverty line. They don't pay you a lot for the views. So you generate millions of views for them, but they, they give you kind of like poverty line level uh, wages. So I think that the the key thing here is that every breakthrough YouTube creator has some unique advantage that they have just grown over time. And I think the key here is make sure that you're growing your skills first, right? So make sure you've got something that you do better than anyone else, right? You just keep building up that skill because that's what people really are going to your channel for. And then it's good to have multiple ways to monetize that skill. So, for example, if YouTube just changes all of a sudden the way that they pay creators, you have a backup just in case. Uh, for some YouTube creators, this could be a merch merchandise store. Maybe they sell uh, T-shirts that you know fit with their theme. Maybe they sell certain types of mugs or cups or uh, different types of paraphernalia. It could be an online course that you offer. Maybe you go to Coursera or maybe you set up your own Kajabi. There are many different ways you can do it. Or it could even be a Patreon uh, or similar service where people are paying you for every video that you produce and you're giving them some exclusive benefit such as like behind the scenes that they're really interested in seeing. The key here is that you're going to have way more stability if you have recurring revenue. And so like I focus a lot on recurring revenue because otherwise your your income is just up and down uh, every month. And that's a really tough situation to be in because like you could find yourself, oh, suddenly I can't pay rent or suddenly, oh, I don't have enough money for food. Like that's a really hard situation to be in. So either save up enough funds so that you, you don't have that kind of situation or look at uh, ways that you can generate recurring revenue if possible. Now, you might think, well, why? Why bother with this, this whole revenue thing? Why not just like move for more subscribers? I'm just looking to be popular anyways. I don't really care about 
you know, making money, especially like if you're still in school, maybe at this time, you're like money's not a big deal. Well, keep in mind that your number of non-paying subscribers is simply a vanity metric. Um, having millions of non-paying subscribers, it, I mean, it feels good, but it doesn't necessarily uh, put a put a living wage into your hands. And so the key is maybe don't expect that to be your main source of income to start. Many of the, the people that I've seen, uh, edutubers, that have moved full time, they they had some other job. They worked in a different place to start with. And they, they already were successful before they decided to quit their job and then go full time. And if you can, congratulations. I mean, that that is a great place to be in because then you have a lot more creative control. And that's in some cases better than having another company tell you, oh, you can only talk about certain things. Uh, but the key is you're running like a small like a new business, essentially, when you're running a channel. So make sure that you're testing the value hypothesis and you figure out like what you can do to, uh, better than everyone else uh, that people will pay for. That's the key. What will people pay for? Um, if you're not sure where to get started, I'd say, well, you've already got followers. You've already got some people who are watching. Just ask them. Find out what they would like to see from you. What else would they, what would be really helpful? Sometimes, you know, going, hey, um, like for example, uh, Alice is on the call today. Do you mind if I use you? <laughs> um, say like, Alice, hey, um, I see you're watching my channel. Is there anything I can do like to, to help you with where you're going right now? What could I do to help further your goals? And just like be genuine. We're trying to help each other out. That's the purpose of these things. Um, and so sometimes we don't know, and sometimes it takes a while for us to get started. That's okay. We don't need to have everything figured out. We just need to be talking. Because at the end of the day, it's not really influence unless there's that back and forth. It's like one of the reasons why I I love live is, is with live, you can you can have a back and forth conversation. You can ask questions and uh, you can you can see people's responses. This is great. So... Let's talk about uh, social media. So why do parents hate social media platforms like TikTok? So this is uh, an interesting one. Um, to me, I the slides, TikTok is a very interesting platform because it makes it easier to move from video to video while still using those milliseconds of watch time to determine what to show you next. And so what this does is it leads to more aggressive and more suggestive content, as we had discussed earlier with YouTube. But I mean, what choice do you have when all of your friends are regularly posting on TikTok? Uh, I would say like the point of social media is to have that social interaction, right? And not necessarily for you to be the celebrity, but like just to have interaction with other people. So even if you aren't actively posting or you don't feel comfortable posting, um, you can still be active by commenting rather than just posting a, a bunch of stuff about yourself, right? It's about engaging with other people um, and how would you want to be engaged, right? Like how would you want other people to speak to you? Um, and so when you're posting and you're, you're talking about other people's stuff, 
you know, that that's a way of building that connection. However, if you do want to post things, and, and that's no problem, like a lot of people choose to do this as well, um, just keep in mind how it might be used against you in the future. Look, I, I get it. Like, you know, parents also did things when we were young that we aren't proud of as well. Some of it is saved in photo albums. You know, some of it's stored online. <laughs> Myself, like, 100% guilty of having embarrassed myself uh, with many videos of me uh, archived both on YouTube and the ACM Digital Library, like an academic journal. But, you know, that's life. The key was, in our time, um, employers generally went off of what you wrote on your resume and your interviews. So you could, you had a chance, you could clean things up when you applied for a job. And since we didn't have a lot of online job boards at the time, uh, employers had less selection of people. Uh, however, now we are in a globally competitive work environment. So it's normal for employers to look at your social profile just to get more information. It's normal. And so what this means is that we need to consider how our social media profiles look from the perspective of a potential employer. Are you the kind of person a company would want to hire, say, 10 years from now or five years from now? Uh, we know so many examples of politicians that have been grilled over photos or statements that were taken over 10 years ago when they were a totally different person. So keep in mind that we're not on social media to be famous. You know, others, they, they can be famous and broke. Uh, we want to use social media to make recurring revenue. And even if we are interested in freelancing or starting our own business, it helps to look at the LinkedIn profiles or maybe the social media profiles of people who have already made it or an area that's similar to where you want to go. What skills did they need to develop first? What what do they sell? Like what how do they how do they, how do they make revenue? Is it through courses? Like what is the way that they they sustain their business? How do their posts that they have on social media help their business? And ultimately, if you're able to find out what do you think would help their business the most today? The goal is to see if there's some value that you can add to the influencer so that you can connect with them, learn more from them, you know, develop that relationship. And you want to make sure that you're always adding value with every message. You don't want to be like, oh, you're so famous, you know, like, can you can you please connect with me? That's that's not really going to help, uh, especially in this world where there's always people like looking to connect with you in order to sell you something. Uh, so, for example, like, let's say a there's a business owner that you really like on TikTok. Great. What kinds of things do they share on TikTok? What, what kind of comments do they get? 
what are their goals and what are the gaps that you could help fill to help them get to their goals faster? The key here is that since more people are more accessible than ever before, it means that we need to be that much better at getting to the point of why we're passionate about the same areas that they're interested in and where we think we can add value. So we, we've got to get to the point quicker. And this goes back to our discussion about parents. Talk to your parents about your goals with social media. Because we love to help you succeed. Or maybe find, like if we can't, maybe we can find somebody who could help you get to your goals quicker. You know, I was really blown away at the number of parents bringing their kids to the VidCon conference uh, just to help them learn more about how to grow their own influence. They knew that, okay, look, I'm not a YouTuber and I, I can't really help with this, but I know there's a conference that covers this exact topic and I'm happy to drive eight hours, 12 hours, it doesn't matter. I don't, however far, rent hotels just to get you there. We parents are your biggest cheerleaders. We believe in you way before anyone else does. Getting us on your side will help you build a connection and it will potentially uh, create something together that everyone can feel good about. Like, for example, maybe you're, you're hesitant to cold pitch influencers, right? Like go up to them and be like, oh yeah, I'd love for us to do a collab. And like the influencers like, yeah, go away. Like I get like a million of these emails every day. Forget it, right? Like if you run this on your own, you're gonna have a much, much harder time. But even having a parent that you can role play with can make a huge difference for your confidence, your tonality, how you speak to other people. The first few times, no matter what, if you're, especially if you're cold pitching, are going to be rough. Like, let's be clear, they're going to be really, really rough. So why not start with the most forgiving audience out there? Your family, your parents. And I think that that's really the, the key here is we, we want to start with a, an audience that we know is going to be cheerleading for you, is going to be encouraging you, is going to help you. Um, and we want to connect. Like, honestly, we want to build that relationship. And maybe you do too. Or maybe you don't. I don't know. But if you do, sharing your goals for people, making them public, is one of the best ways to see momentum towards your goals. I know this because this is exactly what I did is I said, yeah, I'm going to run a live stream every single week. I'm going to like, you know, post things on, on a regular basis, just making it public, getting others to, to see my stuff, like making things public. It's just, it seems kind of weird that you're making this public decoration to the universe saying like, yes, I'm going to be moving in this direction. And you see things happen. It's amazing. But people will not know what you want to do unless you start making it very clear and very explicit. You have to make that declaration. And if you're having trouble, 
choosing one thing or having that. Like, why not have more advice? Why not have more opinions that can get you towards the the, the best idea for you right now? Right? Like, not every parent is, is going to be supportive of everything, but at least hear them out. Like, you don't have to follow exactly what they say. Ultimately, your decisions, you can, you can go with wh what you want. But I think the key is, is there anything that would be helpful there? Is there any information that you can use? Uh, my, my approach has always been, like, you can learn from everybody. Don't think that you know more than everyone. Um, because then you'll never learn anything. So if you if you think you know more than somebody else, uh, like oh I'm I'm smarter than that person or I know more than that person, uh, you you will not learn at all. Whereas if we decide you know what no matter what this person has some knowledge, they have some experience that I don't have, you are going to find that you're going to learn a lot more. You're going to grow. And I think that that's really the, the key is you've got to be constantly growing um, because learning is earning, right? Really, like you, you want to be you want to start earning the big bucks. You're going to have to build that skill and building that skill means constantly learning. Right. And so what's the difference between the like who gets paid more that uh, the example that we often use is like who gets paid more, the general practitioner or the specialist? It's often the specialist. And why? Why Why the specialist? Because that, that person has built a skill, like a very high level of skill in one particular area. And you can't go to other people in order to, to get that. So it does, means that the skill doesn't get commoditized. And you think like, oh, maybe that's not a big deal. I'm like, it's the same skill that you use for even becoming a programmer. Right? Like programmers, they don't just keep playing the game on their own and expect that somehow they're just going to naturally improve. They play, but then eventually they get a coach. And the coach is the one who has objectivity on what they're doing. And says, hmm, you know, like you're doing really well on these things, but these are some other things that you could really improve on. And that's going to make a big difference for your uh, performance in, in even some of the pro games. And so I, I looked at it before. There are programs, there are online programs for coaching, uh, even for pro pro league sports. And that's great. You know, just like any sport, like you want to have a, a coach, somebody who can guide you. And I think that that is where uh, it becomes really interesting because everybody's unique. Everybody moves at a different pace. Everybody has different things that they want to focus on. So how do we how do we become successful in this space? Because the goal is not just to oh I want to like get a lot of followers because you can ha we we kind of explained that you can have a lot of followers and still not make above the poverty line. So how do we prepare for this emerging world of being a social networker? How do we protect ourselves online when it was revealed this week that Facebook leaked the personal information of 500 million users, a data dump that they've known about since 2019, by the way. Many network professionals work with the assumption that your data is already compromised, and they try to reduce what people will get. Maybe this means having less photos of you online or, and more images of the work that you've created. It might also mean using counterintelligence to use false data so AI doesn't fill in the blanks for you. 
It also uh, is about learning more and understanding what kind of content AI prefers to show us and how that impacts our mood. So I'm also talking about taking regular breaks from tech so that we can reflect. If any of these sound like something that you'd be interested in, I'd like you to apply for the AI Parenting Insider. We are going to be offering a unique code for the Social Networker license course designed to give you all of the tools to navigate social networks safely and create a profile and portfolio that employers will love. As a bonus, I'll also send you a free quality screen time chart for applying to AI Parenting Insider if you apply this week. Thank you for joining. I look forward to our next session where we'll speak to Code Equity, Keying Girls into Coding with author Tara Linney. Thank you. We love you all. See you next week.